Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never give you Halloween tricks and treats. Mostly tricks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our month-long theme of... The Night Halloween Came Home, and we are doing that with, I think, the film that best fits this, other than Halloween, which we've already done before, which is the original Halloween 2 from 1981. Uh, so this film was directed by Rick Rosenthal, who, ironically enough, because I love Halloween 2, also directed Halloween Resurrection, <laughs> which most people believe is the worst Halloween film, including in their the Rob Zombie movies and the new ones, so <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Um, I I always when I learned that Rosenthal had directed Resurrection as well, and and already a big fan of Halloween too. At the point, I was like, really? How people change? Um, so <laughs> just want to do something completely different. Indeed. Uh, so it was directed by him. It was written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who of course did Halloween in the Fog together. They returned for this one. It's a long story. I'll get to that in a sec. It's basically a, a direct continuation of the first Halloween film. You know, so if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. But if I remember correctly, I believe this is the first, at least, horror sequel to pick up immediately after the first film. Uh, so, like, you know, Halloween 2 literally begins, like, seconds after the original movie and just picks up from there. Yeah. So it, it was the first to do that, if I remember correctly. And basically it just follows Michael following Laurie Schrode to a hospital where he then stalks the hospital staff and goes after her. (laughs) Very simple, very straightforward. Uh, So we are going to spoil the hell out of this movie. If you've never seen Halloween 2, what are you doing? Get on that, go watch it. (laughs) What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) It's October, you should be watching all of those movies. Uh, But if not, you know, I go check it out somewhere. If it's not streaming, I can't quite remember if or where it is. But if it's not, it's well worth the rental. To me personally, I think it's one of the best Halloween movies, at least top three, if not, if not top. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so which I've already <laughs> lost half of you by saying that. But go check it out there. So, but we do have our usual spoiler-free content that we're gonna get into first. So we'll let you know when we're getting the spoilers uh, with the film. So as usual, we've got our releases for the week. Uh, it's a big week for horror. You know, we're starting to wrap up October here, and so of course we're getting all all the stuff out these last couple weeks. Uh, So these will all be out by the time you're listening to this, but first up is Last Night in Soho, uh, which is coming to theaters. I want to see this so bad. 
it just looks amazing yeah. you know i mean it's an edgar wright film it's who who i've always just wanted to see like a pure horror movie from him because you know he did Shaun of the dead he's got those horror sensibilities mm-hmm. uh, but i don't know that i've ever seen just a straightforward horror film from him yeah and last night in soho looks like at least the closest that we've gotten to that now you know basically this one from what i understand it involves like time travel and it's kind of like a you know, it seems like a slight Giallo-esque murder mystery, maybe. I'm not quite positive on that last part, but... It looks trippy as fuck. It looks very trippy. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews. You know, some of the some of the people that I know that have seen it are kind of met on it. I'm hoping that I will feel differently. <laughs> I'm just excited because there's a fashion element to that, to this movie. And that's what gets me excited, because I'm a giant nerd. <laughs> the costume design looks incredible. Uh, I, that whole time period was just better for clothing. Yeah. <laughs> But so that'll be out in theaters. It looks very good. Uh, another one coming out is Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. So this is the latest <laughs> Paranormal Activity sequel. And it, it just makes me smile, you know, because this is another franchise that, you know, had that Paranormal Activity. Like, the f- I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what they called it, but it was supposed to be like the final chapter, right? Yeah. And, of course, it wasn't. And now here we are with another <laughs> one. So uh, I don't know much about this one. It hasn't been marketed very well. I haven't gotten much news about it, but it does look interesting. Yeah. Uh, it looks to maybe have some sort of prequel-like elements to it, you know. There's kinda, a weird Amish family, I think. Yeah, I hope maybe give us some more backstory on what's going on with this franchise. But uh, So that'll be out on Paramount+. Plus. And then lastly is a film that I have actually seen. And this is Antlers, which will be in theaters by the time you're listening to this. And this one's basically revolves around the Wendigo mythology, you know, which deals with like a voracious spirit in the wilderness, you know. And uh, essentially it involves this young boy who I'm trying to think of how to say this without spoiling it. Because I don't, you know, for people who haven't seen the trailers or know too much, I don't want to ruin it for them. But I'll just basically say it's, it's about a small boy who encounters the Wendigo and is finding himself having to feed it essentially, mm-hmm. and then there's a teacher who, uh, who who the boy draws the attention of, and she wants to help him, and then she gets drawn into this whole Wendigo thing. And the the film itself, I I really enjoyed it. It's not amazing. It didn't quite live up to you know mm-hmm. what I was maybe hoping it would be, but it, it has an incredible creature. I love the creature effects in this movie. There are some really great gore effects as well. It's very dark and grim, so. Prepare yourself for something that is heavy, to say the least, right? Uh, I mean, you're dealing with, like, you know, child abuse and, like, just really fucked up shit that goes on in this film. (laughs) But I do think it's worth the watch. I just don't know that the script is really too phenomenal, right? You know? (laughs) Uh, But it is a good film. I definitely recommend it. So all three of those look fun. Uh, You can check out my review for Antlers if you want on KillerHorrorCritic.com. See what I thought of it there. Uh, but those are your releases for the week, so hopefully there's something in there you enjoy. Uh, one other thing we like to do before we get into spoilers here is every week on our Twitter, at Killer Critics, we like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feeling on the film. So with Halloween 2, where do you think the audience falls on this one? It, Between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it. Uh, duh, it's love it. I feel like there's no other option with a Halloween movie, especially one of the first two. I mean, you'd be surprised. So, like... This really? Po- this poll does win Love It, but it was close. So, okay. So Love It is 51.5%. It's Fine is 45.5%. What? Don't Like It is 3% and Never Seen It was 0%. So At least we finally got a 0% for Never Seen It. It's been a while. Uh, so, <laughs> so the thing with Halloween 2 is 
you know, you would be surprised. Like, there are a lot of people that just despise this movie. Really? Um, many of the creators themselves, actually. You know, like, there are producers involved with this, and uh, Tommy, we- Tommy Lee Wallace, who was a producer and and also went on to direct Halloween 3, you know, he hates this movie. Like, <laughs> uh, A lot of people were not happy with it. And I'm going to get into why in a second here, but first mm-hmm. I want to go through uh, the rest of our polls. We like to get comments from you all as well and kind of get what you think of it. So these are all from Twitter. First up, I want to give a special shout out to at Shannon Morant. So that's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O-R-A-N-T. So this is James. James has been requesting that we do Halloween 2 for months now, really hoping that we do it for its 40th anniversary, which is this month. Uh, So shout out to James. You know, we're really excited to talk about this, and I'm glad that you pushed me to make sure that we did this this month. Yes, thank you. uh, So anyway, so James had a couple questions for us on the film. So he says, two questions. First, did you like the fact that John Carpenter added more gore to make it more like slasher movies of the 80s? And... Do you also feel, if this was the last Halloween, how do you feel ending Michael Myers the way that they do? So I think we all know that I am, of course, going to say that I love the fact that we ramped up the gore for the second one. Because I am a trashy slasher baby, and the more <laughs> gore you give me, the happier I am. Yeah. So you're a, you're a slasher panda that loves to roll around in gore. Exactly. <laughs> I just trash panda. But you know, it's also something that what I like about the gore in this film is it's not just straight gore. There's a little bit more artistry to the kills in this than my boy Jason could ever hope to give you. Well, Jason, Jason's very blue collar, you he know. Is. Not, he's, Michael's an artist. Yeah, yeah. J- Jason's very like blunt and forceful, and you know, yep. yeah. My, there's some artistry to Michael's murders. There is. <laughs> I am. So I definitely love that. And then in terms of if this was our last Halloween film, yeah, I'm actually okay with how this ended. Yeah. You know, I thought this was a good like big blowout ending, and so if we. <laughs> have- Uh, If we had just moved with the Halloween franchise into, you know, the intended purpose of like that more anthology thing, I totally would have been okay with that, even though the fourth one, the Jamie one, is my personal Halloween favorite, as blasphemous as that is. It's not blasphemous. I mean, look, first of all, I don't think anybody's favorite is blasphemous. Like, you could tell me that Halloween Resurrection is your favorite Halloween movie, and I will very much disagree with you, but I I think everyone's welcome to how they feel about it. What if they say Halloween kills? I mean, look, I fucking hated Halloween Kills, but <laughs> but if it's your favorite Halloween movie, I more power to you, you know? Yeah. I, all I ever care about is that people are enjoying these movies, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't have to enjoy every single one of them as long as other people do. That's all that matters to me. First, I'll answer James' question, then I want to jump off something you said. So, as far as the gore, James, uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do really actually like the fact that, that this was included. Now, the thing that's interesting here is I do understand that the producers and Carpenters and Deborah Hill, like they didn't want to do this, which is interesting. They didn't Aww. want they didn't want to include such excessive gore like that. But what people have to consider is that, you know, this came out in 1981, and I I think a lot of people out there consider 81, maybe 82, to kind of be like the peak of the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously we, we recognize the 80s as the slasher era, and slashers obviously continued well <laughs> past that. But but 80 but 81, 82 was kind of where they peaked in a sense of after that, they started to become very redundant, right? You know, and, and people and people were a little more tired of them, uh, which is hard to believe, you know, if, if mm. you just came to this decade as a young kid and were watching it and 
you know, you find out like, oh, it actually peaked that early. You know, I thought it went through the whole 80s. But anyway, so it, it had kind of peaked by then. And because of that, you know, you've got Friday the 13th, which came out, and that kind of upped the gore, right? That kind mm-hmm. of upped the sexuality of it. Uh, that Then Halloween, because Halloween's very bloodless and has very little sexuality to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you had this whole trend of slashers just kind of outdoing each other, one-upping each other. And, and the basic thought behind Halloween 2 was, well, we can't do Halloween again and have this movie that essentially feels bland by today's standards only a couple years later, mm-hmm. you know, where they, they felt that they had to do these more brutal, gory kills. Yeah. Because if they didn't, you know, then it might seem sort of tame compared to what was out at the time, right? So so they didn't really want to do that, but I, I do actually appreciate that they did. I'm yeah. a fan of good kills myself, and, you know... I personally, I, I like my kills a little bit bloody and a little bit graphic, yeah. you know? Like, if, if you're going to put it on screen, make it fun. I, you know, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of stabbing someone and there's nothing, no blood or anything. There so. needs to be blood. <laughs> uh, so, so I like it, and I think the kills in this film are great. I think they're one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah. And I personally like the brutality of it. Like, I, I what has always struck me about Halloween 2 is I put it sort of in line with Halloween 6, where I think that the two of them together are kind of like Michael Myers at his most brutal in the original franchise, which I consider to be part one through Resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they're the two most brutal, I think, interpretations of Michael. And so I kind of like that Halloween 2 sort of has this kind of grimier, darker, kind of meaner feeling to it than the first one. Yeah. Um, so I've always really dug that. But And then as far as, you know, would I have been okay with this being the last Halloween? Absolutely. You know, I think... Look, I love part four as well. I, I think it's a very good film, actually. It's one of the better sequels. Yep. And I kind of feel like everything just goes off the train tracks after that until <laughs> H2O. But but I would have been perfectly fine had this been the end of Michael Myers because, you know, I'll, I'll get into it more as we go through the episode. But I, I think that I think that the Halloween franchise, by sticking with Michael, grew very stale very quickly. Yes. <laughs> you know, because there's only... An argument that I've had back and forth with people constantly since Halloween Kills has come out <laughs> is this is this idea that, you know, Michael Myers has to be this uh, this just basically like shark-like villain that has no purpose and just wanders around murdering people and whatever. And I think that was fine the first movie, mm-hmm. you know, because it's new, it's interesting, it's mysterious. Uh, slashers were not even a concept at the time, you know, so it yeah. was, fr- was more frightening at the time. But once you get past that first film, it just starts to become redundant. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just have film after film after film of Michael just wandering around and killing random people, it's just not very interesting. No, that's you Jason's know? job. <laughs> well, Find even, your own hobby, Michael. Well, right, but even Jason <laughs> has purpose, you know, because yeah. Jason's, like, getting revenge for his mother and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like there, there's, and get the fuck off my land. Yeah, there's, like, something there, right? Mm-hmm. And And with Michael, you know... I feel Michael very quickly fell down that line of just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And we're still kind of doing that. And it just, you know, I, basically just wrapping it up here, I'll just say, yeah, I would have been fine had it ended there. Halloween 2 actually has probably my favorite ending of the Halloween franchise. It, I, I, I could say the first one because I do really love the sort of myster- mystery and effect of it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think in terms of like how Michael Myers is dispatched, Part two is my favorite by far. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so thank you, James, so much for the questions. Appreciate it. And thank you again for suggesting that we do this. I can't wait to get into this movie. Uh, so next up is a comment from at Dardar Finch. So that's D-A-R-D-A-R 
F-I-N-C-H. And they say, my personal favorite of the franchise. Love the hospital setting. Michael is more vicious, like I said. Really do wish they just let it end here, though, and did the anthology series like Carpenter had planned. Damn rabid fans. Also, poor Ben Tramer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor fucking Ben Tramer just gets offed as a no-face person. I feel bad for I mean, that he boy. was always a no-face he person. He was always a no-face <laughs> person. Yeah, it's, it's really too bad, I think, that Halloween for me as a franchise, is an example of a lot of missed potential. Like, there's so many cool setup things throughout the franchise that they could have run with that they just didn't, that I thought couldn't make the franchise better. Two is such a fantastic film. It is really cool to have them go into that, into the hospital scene, see those super brutal kills. Um, but, you know, I'm going to keep saying this this episode because I fucking love Jamie. The character, Jamie, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is also amazing, mm. but four will always be my favorite because four, I think, has the best ending. I will agree with that. I, yep. I think four has a pretty damn shocking ending. So, yep. so, so really quick, what I'll say that is just, yeah, love the hospital setting. I think it's great. It, it's the movie that made me afraid of hospitals and forever interested in horror movies set in hospitals, right? Uh, but as far as the, and we will talk more about Ben Tramer. I will bring him up in a bit, but. <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> um. But, but yeah, I'll just add, I do also really wish that they had done the anthology series. For those who don't know, you know, essentially the plan was to do a different film every year or so with the title of Halloween, but it would tell a different story revolving around Halloween, right? Maybe Michael Myers would be involved occasionally, maybe not, you know, but the whole concept was to do things like Halloween 3 and just have these different stories set around Halloween, the sequel after sequel, right? And, of course, you know, fans are, are very rabid, and when Michael Myers wasn't in part three, everyone flipped the fuck out, and then the studio was like, okay, guess they didn't like that, now we gotta go bring him back somehow, right? So, uh... God <laughs> damn it. So, yeah, I, I do wish that, you know, that it happened that way. I'm, to be honest with you, kind of disappointed that that doesn't seem to be the plan now, either. Yeah, <laughs> and, come and, on, and guys! It, and it feels like the perfect opportunity for it to happen, so... Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Halloween ends will happen, and then we'll get that anthology route again. I doubt it's going to happen, though, but it would be great. Uh, but anyway, thank you, at Dardar Finch, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at jmars9. So that's the letter J, M-A-R-S, and then the number 9. And they say, original is my favorite, but saw this 20 to 30 times in a compressed time frame. Yay, VHS. The elevator basement chase is A-plus tension. And then they also ask, is this the first film that followed the Randy rules on sequels in Scream 2, a.k.a. more gore, higher body count? Yeah, I, I have to say I like the second one more than the first one, but let's be honest, it's because I'm a gore person. So you give me more blood, I'm going to like your movie better. Yeah, you're, you're, not a, you're not a subtlety in horror kind of fan. <laughs> That's rude, but true. <laughs> it's rude, but true. Yeah, the, the first one, unfortunately, is a bit lost on me. And so I love the second one. And I agree that that chase scene through the basement is so good. Such good tension that, yeah, it's fantastic. Although I can't imagine watching this movie 20 or 30 times in close succession. That's uh, impressive. I can because that's what I did as a kid. So. Of course you can. <laughs> I mean, for God's every time I went to Blockbuster, I'd rent like this and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So. <laughs> But yeah, so all I'll add to that is, yes, the chase scene's great. Uh, but as far as the Scream 2 question, so I'd responded to Jay Mars 9 on, on Twitter and gave them my response to this, but just for all of you, the way I look at it, I do think Halloween 2 had an influence on that, we'll call it a trope, rules, whatever you want to call it. 
But that being said, you know, Friday the 13th Part 2 actually predated Halloween 2. It came out in the summer, whereas Halloween 2 came out in October. My boy. So, <laughs> and, and, and Friday Part 2, you know, did that as well. We're up to the body count, up to the gore, kind of up the ante on everything, right? And, you know, these being kind of the early days of slasher horror sequels, I, I would just put it this way. I think that both Halloween 2 and Friday 2 kind of had an effect on that whole Randy's Scream 2 rules, right, of, like, yeah. upping everything in the sequel. Um, so I think you could credit either of them with that. But it was a really great time to kind of begin establishing all these rules that we have now, right? Because these two definitely did it in spades. Jason bullied Michael into being more bloody. <laughs> he, he did, actually. That, that, is, that, is a, that is a true fact. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so thank you at JMars9 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Lawdog1521. So that's L-A-W-D-O-G and then the numbers 1521. And they just say, really enjoy it, a fun setting with good kills. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yep, no, <laughs> totally agree. Uh, love the setting. Like I said, I always, I ar- like I already said, I love the kills in this movie. I, I think it has some of the best, honestly, in the franchise, which maybe some people disagree with me, but I, I think it does. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Lawdog5021, for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly is a comment from at msawzall. So that's M-S-A-W-Z-A-L-L. And they say, I'm torn between love it and fine. Jamie's wig drops it to fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know what? I didn't even notice. So I. How did you not notice that? That is a pretty terrible wig. <laughs> I focus on other things like the blood and the blood was good. <laughs> well, the blood's not in every scene, Chris. Um, <laughs> I'm not paying attention in those scenes then. Are you ever? Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, no. So, so I'll just say, yeah. Uh, Jamie is, I think, very obviously wearing a wig. I, I think most of us would agree it's not great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jamie herself hated the wig. You know, everyone I've heard talk about this movie talks about Jamie and that goddamn wig and how she was pretty frustrated with it. But uh, and, and I don't even remember what the reason for the wig was. Like, I think she had shorter hair at the time because oh. she, you know, because she had done the first movie and then she cut her hair short. Yeah, I, I think that's right because I, I remember in Terror Train she has shorter hair. So. So yeah, they gave her this wig to match the first movie, and uh, it's it's not ideal, but <laughs> but that's the magic of movies. Magic of movies. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you at M Sawzall for the comment. Appreciate it. So one last thing we like to do before we get in the spoilers is kind of the tagline versus the film, what we think of it in the movie overall. So the tagline for Halloween Two was "More of the Night He Came Home." <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Halloween 2 overall? I, I feel like the tagline leans towards the producers not really liking doing this movie. <laughs> yeah, it sort of feels like like they're just like, I don't know, more of this, I yeah. guess. Fuck you guys for making us make a second one. Well, they wanted to make a second one. Just I, I not think, this one? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which I'll get into in a sec. But <laughs> uh, Yeah, I feel like I've kind of covered this. I like this one. I definitely like it better than the first one because there's more gore higher body count all those things that i really like in a horror slasher film Mm. but the big thing that i really like in this one is that it started to build the mythos of michael um and who he was and what he could be and i always think that's really cool i think that's why he's in you know those top four is because of that mythos if he didn't have that if he was just going around like stalking babysitters i don't think he would but but that but you know what i mean that's that's the weird part 
part of the argument I've been having these last few weeks is like apparent. You know, that's what people hated about the Halloween franchise. <laughs> like they, they hate that. You know, we get that mythos. Which for those who haven't seen it, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows. But just in case, uh, I'll save that for in a moment <laughs> when we get into spoilers. But, but yeah, no, they hated that. And again, you know, this this film, this film had a rough start because mm. basically, you know, so there there were those involved with the first movie who wanted to do this part two, mainly the producers, right? They wanted to do a part two. They wanted Carpenter and Hill to come back. And essentially, long story short, they they had worked out a deal with Deborah and Hill where they or, or they had worked out a deal with Carpenter and Hill where they were going to do Halloween 2 and they were going to do The Fog, which was the movie that, uh, that Carpenter and, her, and Hill were really interested in doing, right? Mm-hmm. So what basically ended up happening, from what I understand, is they had made a deal to do this with one studio and then... It, Later on, those producers found out that Carpenter and Hill were actually going to do The Fog with another studio. And so this studio got pissed, and it basically sued them. Oh, shit. <laughs> and and they essentially sued them into doing Halloween 2 for this studio, and they couldn't do The Fog. In, or or they, they basically had to do this so that they could do The Fog, right? Oh, shit. So, <laughs> so... So so Hill and Carpenter had to do Halloween 2. They didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And it it is kind of obvious in the script, I think, and that was something that you know, a lot of people involved hated with it when it when it was first kind of developing was that, you know, a lot of people originally involved thought that the script was kind of like pedestrian and you know, sort of repetitive from the first movie, mm-hmm. which I see their point here and there, but I also do think that you know, to expect like Halloween two was going to be some, you know, massively unique experience again, just like part one was. I just don't. Th- I think that was too asking yeah, too much, that's right? Not like, happen. like, like first one was a phenom, right? It just it blew up and it blew, it, it it amazed people mm-hmm. with how different it was. And just when you're doing a direct sequel, I mean, I'm sorry, you're not going to get that same effect, you know? No. So there are a lot of issues with that, and you know that's why. Uh, Carpenter and Hill didn't direct. They weren't interested, and you know, and uh, it just went through a whole thing. And anyway, <laughs> so I, so I always thought that was interesting, and and we'll talk more about that as we go. But what I just want to say personally about Halloween Two is this was my first Halloween movie with Michael Myers, and oh. and I, I fell in love with it immediately. So I saw this one before I saw the original one, and blaspheme. It is, but I mean, you fuck it, you know? I, I caught it on TV one day, and I think I caught it right around the hot tub scene, and I was like, well, this is fun. There's tits. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, yeah, one of, probably one of my first pairs of boobs in a movie. Um, <laughs> not that that matters. Uh, but anyway, so, so no, I, I've always really loved this movie. It's got a special place for me. I think the opening credits with the pumpkin splitting open and the skull inside, every time you hear me rant on this podcast about, like, you know, f- horror films having great opening credits again. That's the kind of shit that I'm talking about. I yeah. miss that so badly. Bring it back. You know, I mean, I swear to God, every goddamn movie now, it's just like, here's our opening credits and whatever font, and we're not even good. And the other thing, too, the films do now, they a lot of them don't even, like, build with the credits, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, so a lot of what we see now, <laughs> now I'm ranting like a grandpa. Now, <laughs> a lot of what we see now is, you know, we'll have, We'll have, like, the opening title just, like, pop up, and maybe it screams at you or something, and then we, you know, cut the scenes going on, and maybe there's credits going on during that. I actually like 
films like Halloween 2 where it's just like a slow build through the credits. You get something creepy like the pumpkin opening up. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so atmospheric and it like draws you into the movie. So you're like, you're ready for what's about to come your way, right? Or, mm-hmm. or you start you start to get scared before the movie even starts. And I love that. And I, yeah. I wish that we did that more often. But, but anyway, so we're about to get into spoilers now with Halloween 2. So again, if you have not seen it, please do go check it out. We're going to spoil everything. Uh, but with that being said, moving to sports territory now. As usual, who do you want to talk about in this film? I feel like you can guess. It's going to be Dr. Loomis, because fuck that guy. <laughs> Played by Donald Pleasance. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about Halloween before, and I feel like Matt is expecting me to go on a rant about how much I fucking hate Dr. Loomis and how I, I feel like he is the true villain of the Halloween films, which I do. But instead with this, what I want to talk about with Dr. Loomis is what I think is kind of the problem with the Halloween franchise. Okay. And that is the fact that the Halloween franchise, I love it, but it has so much potential to be different than other slasher franchises. With Friday the 13th, you're always going to have Jason. That That's what it's going to be. Jason's always going to be your killer. With Nightmare on Elm Street, it's always going to be Freddy. But with the Halloween franchise, they kind of have set up multiple times different mythos to kind of hand off the baton, if you will, to different killers or different things. And Dr. Loomis, I feel like, is a very interesting character to watch to the franchise because in that first movie, he kind of should be one of our heroes. Uh But through the next couple, we watch him like fall into madness he just becomes a deranged person who's throwing guns at children see what i think that's great like yeah i love that oh you do like that i thought you were shitting oh (laughs) i fucking hate dr lewis because as a person he's a terrible person but as a character and a character mechanic i feel like he's we don't see that too often in horror films See, i I don't i do want to defend him a little bit i don't think he's a terrible person i actually have a a new shit doctor i actually have a new theory that you have not heard from me on why dr loomis is the way that he is Mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna get to that a little bit later though but the thing i will say to it is um, no, I, I I like that Loomis devolves right? in every film the more it goes on to the point where he's basically just like a screaming lunatic in part five and like shaking a child yeah. <laughs> and screaming at her that it's all her fault, right? <laughs> but I feel like they so easily could have taken the Halloween franchise and twisted it to Loomis becoming the new villain. Well, look, I mean, this is the thing, you know... Us fans were were our best and we're our own worst enemy, right? Yes. Uh, because you know something that you do see time and again with the Halloween franchise is, is fans wanting something different, right? So after so after it was revealed in part two that you know uh, Laurie Schrode is Michael's sister, mm-hmm. uh, there's a contingency of fans that really hated that and and wanted you know and, and wanted that erased from the franchise which is where the 2018 film kind of comes from right mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like you know they tried over and over yeah. again to set up something different like so you know halloween 4 sets up jamie lloyd to be the new killer which would have been amazing um, rob zombies films set up uh laurie schrode to be the killer right which- so so it's like two different times we we've had the franchise try to go a different route mm-hmm. and three times i mean if you count halloween 3 right and every time fans just you know yeah. they they get they get really incessant about like it has to be michael myers and so we're kind of keeping ourselves 
really from letting the franchise evolve. So. Right, and it's such a bummer because, like, it's the only franchise that actually has set itself up to evolve, and I think that would have been so cool and different, and that would have set a completely different tone for horror films that I think would have been amazing. But fuck it, we have to keep doing the same shit, and that's why I feel like, unfortunately, well, Halloween has the weakest franchise. So, Some of the best movies, but the weakest franchise. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I will correct you, though. It is not the only one to try to evolve but I, w- I would say child's play more than any others has evolved the most and the best yeah um, because it lets itself well right and don mancini has a lot of control so he's able to kind of evolve it the way he thinks it should but yeah but yeah no i mean i i will unfortunately agree and and again there's gonna I'm be right for once well i well there's gonna be a lot of people well you're right about one part that i agree <laughs> with although I, I wouldn't say it's right it's more of an opinion but and i i know there's a bunch of you out there that are gonna hate this statement but I do kind of think that when it comes to the big slasher franchises, you know, mm-hmm. like like Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, Child's Play, Friday the 13th, all those, I do unfortunately kind of think that Halloween's probably the most boring. Like yeah. I I don't I don't want to and that and don't take that the wrong way. I love this franchise. I will defend every single one of these sequels to the death, even part 5, maybe not Resurrection, but <laughs> <laughs> uh but but I will defend them and I, what I'm basically saying is like, look, if you put Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween in front of me and ask me which one of these is a more interesting franchise, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, yeah. every film goes to different lengths to do really cool and unique stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and seven sequels in, they completely reinvented it with New Nightmare, right? Yeah. And and Halloween just kind of, it just keeps trucking along with with the sort of same stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's not a bad thing. And some of you are going to argue that Friday the 13th does that. But the thing I would say with Friday the 13th, is that's another one that actually did kind of evolve because it got more and more campy, <laughs> you know? And we took Jason to, like, New York, and there's telekinesis, and he yeah. went to space. And, you know, Michael Myers just doesn't really do many interesting no. things like that, right? But, yeah, no, so, wow, that, that was a huge divergence from Dr. Loomis. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I tricked you. I guess. So I want to talk about really quick is actually uh, Karen and Bud together. So Karen played by Pamela Susan Shoup and Bud played by Leo Rossi, uh, which... Interesting fact for those who care about Leo Rossi is Deborah Hill actually did not want him in this movie. <laughs> uh, th- not not anything personally against him. From what I understand, it's because he 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 has a very like West Coast kind of vibe, I guess, right? And mm. this is a movie about Midwesterners, oh. so she kind of felt like he didn't fit. But Rick Rosenthal was a friend of his and fought for him to be in the movie, so there he is. Uh, <laughs> but 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 what I think is interesting about Bud and Karen here is they kind of strike at what I think is a more somewhat subtle theme in Halloween 2, and that's this idea of the abandonment of children mm-hmm. and the kind of, like, sort of sacrificial sort of status that kids are put into around Halloween in this yeah. in this universe. And it, so, you know, Karen and Bud are kind of represented of that because, you know, they're basically kind of these two horny adults who are essentially, like, leaving you know, all these babies unattended yeah. on a night where Michael Myers is, you know, roaming and killing people, and they know that. They know he's escaped, right? So yeah. <laughs> they don't know he's coming to them, but they know he's out there. And, you know, so so they kind of reflect that sort of idea to me. And when you look through uh, the whole, the, all of Halloween 2, th- there is this kind of underlying theme of child abandonment because, you know, you've got Lori, who you find out was adopted because her parents died, 
that's not quite abandonment, mm-hmm. but you get my point. Like, she's kind of been left on her own, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Myers, we don't even... Uh, was abandoned par- by Loomis, because <laughs> Loomis was a shit doctor. Right, Michael Myers is kind of abandoned, and they're sort of similar in that sense. Uh, you've got these kids being abandoned. Y- you have other sort of elements of, like, the destruction of innocence, right? Like, the kid who's got the razor blade in his mouth, which I want to talk more about him in a second. But they sort of represent that to me of, you know, this kind of sort of thing that happens in this particular Halloween universe because what's interesting what is interesting about the Halloween franchise is it's never been kind to children no. <laughs> like like kids. I, I mean all the way back to the first one like Michael Myers himself this little boy is this violent killer right and that was super shocking for people at the time and then you know you're kind of going through the franchise and like yeah you've got part two with this kid with a razor blade in his mouth and it's super like grotesque and it's you know, it's not even necessarily necessary, but it's in there, I think, to fit this kind of mm-hmm. tone, right? And then, yeah, like, Jamie is this kid being stalked and attacked in part four through five. And, you know, so there's, there's – and then a baby is the one that Michael <laughs> Myers is after in part six. Like, so, like, there's always been this kind of feeling of, you know, the the innocent not being safe. And, I mean, Halloween 3 is all about killing kids, right? So, <laughs> so, so I just – I don't know. It, it's a stretch, but that just kind of struck me. These two horny people, they, they remind me of those parents who, you know, they're not parents in this, but they remind me of those parents who are supposed to be watching the kids, supposed to be keeping them safe, but instead, you know, Halloween brings something else out in them, and mm-hmm. they leave the kids to their own demise or whatever, right? Yep, so to roll over and die. To roll over and die. Um, so <laughs> so kind of mentioning Michael and Lori, you know, so this is the film where we learn that Lori is – michael myers sister Mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering like what do you because this is a huge controversy (laughs) amongst halloween fans like what do you think of that concept look i i like that concept i'm a big fan of especially franchises having a mythos to kind of guide them something Mm. simple like you know i like friday the 13th because it's jason he's pretend he's protecting his territory he's avenging his mom it's something very similar are very simple that connects everything that I think helps strengthen a film. Mm. And so I do think that you lose some of like the overarching, you know, scariness of the first film of that just unnamed, unknowing shape, just like tracking down teenagers and killing them without purpose. That is terrifying concept, mm. but it's not really something that can hold a franchise up. Right. Um, and so I There's think there's not a lot of meat on that. Exactly. And so I think by, you know, adding this concept that they're related by blood, that Michael feels the need to sacrifice his sisters over and over at a specific age, too. Because mm. it's interesting that he killed his older sister when she was a teenager, and now he's coming back for Lori. He's waited, as Dr. Loomis said, he's waited until Lori's basically of well, age to well, come back for well, it's her. Well, it's essentially a coming-of-age thing, right? Where, yeah. like, you know, in in pagan cults and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, any, any sacrificial ritual dating back to however far you want to go, uh, you know, a, a lot of them do kind of revolve around, like, you turn a certain age, and that's when you're, you. quote-unquote, eligible for this sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I think a little bit of that plays into it. And I think it's an interesting concept that, like, if we want to dig a little bit deeper, it's the unescapable unescapableness of our families like the legacies of our families what's in our blood we can't get away from that like Lori didn't know her parents they died when she was two she didn't know Michael was her brother she didn't know any of this stuff and it still comes back and haunts her and then they pick it up and run with it with you know part four with this idea that like 
the blood can carry and turn them into more killers. There's so much room for stuff. <laughs> yeah, so so this is where I, I'm about to go on a rant. So look, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell Halloween Kills fans uh, earmuffs because you're not gonna like what I have to say. But <laughs> uh, but so so here here is why I am one of apparently the few defenders of this concept because I I posted the other day on Twitter about how you know I actually think that I actually think that the franchise sort of I. I, I I actually put up that I thought that the franchise really benefited from this concept of Lori being his sister. Mm-hmm. And I got mostly nothing but hate from that. Oh. <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah. I'm a big boy and everyone's welcome to their opinion. But let me let me explain why I feel that way. So, And it's going to involve Halloween Kills hate. And so, you know, cover your ears, fans. Um, But so basically, starting with Halloween 2, okay? So look, I get it. I get that at that time especially... No one was excited about the idea. Carpenter hated it. From what we understand, a lot of alcohol went into the writing of this <laughs> script. <laughs> and, and, and you can see that, right? And, and from what I understand, he and most people were not huge fans of this idea that Laurie's Michael's sister, right? Mm-hmm. I think there were a lot of fans at the time, too, who might have been like, you know, I, I don't really know if the reaction was like, you know... Darth Vader's Luke's dad or anything like that. I, I don't know. I don't think it was a similar reaction. I think there was kind of more of a, uh, you know, like a more, mm-hmm. of, more of a confusion maybe. Yeah. Uh, but especially over time, it, the concept has gotten more and more hate. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that feel like that's what ruined the franchise. And I will just put it this way. So, and, and look, and look, and this is why 2018 was made and it's why they ignored the sequels. Cause they're like, we hate that idea that Jamie's his sister, so we're gonna we're just completely redo it. And this is why these new ones have not worked for me as well. Mm-hmm. So it so basically I completely agree that the first one is as effective as it is because there is no reason. We don't know why Michael's stalking these girls, but he's targeted them for whatever reason and he is relentless about going after them. Yeah. That's scary. Yes. You know, it is. And could you have gotten through part two without ever introducing that Jamie was his sister, but he's still going after her? Absolutely. Maybe that would have been the better way to go. I don't know, you know, but so with me, though, I've just always felt that Michael needed something like that because just try to imagine like you can't. You know, for I mean, look at how far this franchise has run, right? We've been through at this point. What is there like twelve movies? Yeah. So and and you just have to ask yourself, like, how interesting would it still be if it was twelve movies later, and it's just Michael Myers doing the same goddamn thing every time, and just coming to this neighborhood and you know randomly stalking people, and Ew. and and in the case of the new ones, he's not even targeting anybody. It's just like random whoever he, he runs into. Yeah, he just like walks in the random houses, kills some random character that we don't know anything about, and then moves on. Right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's not exciting. To me, that's you know, it worked the first time, but you have to you have to evolve your franchise. You have to evolve your lore. Yeah. And I get that a lot of people, you know, we kind of start to not. Uh, enjoy it as much if we know too much about the villain but i think in other cases you know it it makes it more lasting right so like Mm -hmm. so like freddy krueger right 
you know, Freddy Krueger, I think it's in part three that we get that line of the, the son of a hundred maniacs, right? Yeah. That was something that always stuck with me. Like, I always thought that was so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that he's this child of like a hundred rapists, essentially. <laughs> you know, and it's awful and yeah. we don't really want to know more about him. Mm-hmm. But learning more is interesting and it yeah. keeps the franchise interesting because it keeps it evolving. And so, anyway, what I'm getting to is the thing with Michael being related to Laurie is I look at the two of them kind of like a yin and yang, right? Mm-hmm. So so Michael being the kind of like pure evil concept of Halloween and Laurie being representative of good and innocence, you know, like she is our uh, epitome of the innocent final girl, right? And she's yeah. kind of she's kind of like the scream queen, quote unquote, that kind of started that whole trope, right? And so I look at them as this yin and yang and they're like this good and evil that essentially exists to destroy each other. Mm-hmm. And they're relentless in doing so. And it's kind of like this never-ending battle until one of them is destroyed. So I always thought that was a really interesting idea of, you know, sort of having that running through Michael's blood of, like, his blood cannot exist. Yeah. You know, like, he cannot exist if his blood exists. And so I liked that they always had this draw. And when you start to kind of do what they're doing with these new films, so like take Halloween Kills, for example, mm-hmm. Laurie Schrode is in the movie, but she has nothing really to do with what's going on. Yeah. She's just a character just kind of laying around and, you know, and her whole family, really. There's characters laying around and they insert themselves into the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Michael Myers going around and just killing random people. It's fun from a horror fan's perspective if you just want to watch a bunch of random kills, but in terms of like having anything to sort of chew on mm-hmm. it's just not there it's you know, not a you, franchise you, you've i basically look at it like this like you know when the first halloween came out it was an original concept yes you know the whole idea of the slasher was becoming an original concept like it hadn't really been defined yet mm-hmm. and so having a killer like michael that was interesting at the time but after you go through this whole slasher era where you get killer after killer and you're getting these killers with really kind of unique, cool sort of backstories or like Freddy Krueger, you know, or Chucky. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting these really interesting characters. And at a certain point when you've got Michael and, and you're just trying to stick with this concept of, oh, he's just evil and just kills people. It's like, well, all right, you're not really doing anything different than what anyone else is doing at that point. No. And at that point, Michael becomes redundant. And, you know, so anyway, I know there's probably a lot of disagreement <laughs> out there. I just think that by having that sort of blood concept, that sort of yin and yang concept and Mm -hmm. playing into ideas of kind of, you know, pagan cults and sacrifices and kind of, you know, having that running through the blood and how it kind of changes you like we see with Jamie. I I think all of that is far more interesting once you get to a certain point in the franchise Mm -hmm. uh, than just having Michael continue to be just roaming evil you know because that's basically every other serial killer out there so yeah it's look you can't have a franchise without a mythos it just doesn't work and look for all of you people who really love michael myers and you like michael more than jason realize jason is a more stable killer than michael is sorry to say jason, hell does that mean? <laughs> jason has a mythos jason jason has a guiding factor and if you want michael to not have blood relations or anything else He's a weaker villain than Jason is, well, conceptually. So, that, so, I mean, that's part of my point is, like, you, you kind of look at it and it's like, okay, without the sister thing or without the family thing, whatever. What that, is he? Then, yeah, exactly. Then what is he? Uh, a guy who kills on Halloween. Okay. That's not interesting. But, you know, it's interesting for a movie or two, but after you get after you start to get down the line, it's like, I ne- we need more. Exactly. You know, that, that starts to get pretty boring, especially when you have all these 
different slasher villains out there that are doing more, right? So yeah. Okay, so I've re- I've hated on that enough. Um, but you brought up an interesting point earlier with this sacrifice of the innocent, specifically children in the Halloween franchise. So I'm curious, going back to the boy with the razor blade in the in his mouth, why do you think he's such a focus in this film? Well, so it's kind of that to me is just kind of speaking to what I was saying earlier, which is that you know I think that Halloween two actually has a lot going on in the background that I don't think we really acknowledge much in the horror community and you know part of that is i think that there is like i was like i was saying before there is this really subtle theme of the death of innocence and sacrifice Mm -hmm. and i think that by putting that kid in there so so i think it was dino de laurentos uh, one of the other producers didn't he didn't want that scene in there but deborah hill and john carpenter really wanted it in there and so i think you know i don't know their reason specifically but I think that part of the reason it's there is that it really does enhance that sort of feeling of kids especially are not safe in yeah. this universe on Halloween. You know, and again, when you start looking through the franchise, that became a consistent theme of we have children and babies being threatened constantly. And so I think it plays back to, again, the kind of, you know, sort of pagan rituals in history where it's like, you know, there were child sacrifices. There were sacrifices of the innocent, sacrifices of virgins, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of why you see that and kind of why it is interesting to me that Michael is going after, you know, his sisters at a certain age or his family at a certain age because it's kind of like, you know, I mean, we eventually got the part six stuff and learned all about the cult <laughs> and that that wasn't handled very well, honestly. I think it's interesting, but it could have done could have been done better. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is a sort of subtle kind of vibe there of, this sort of like sat ritual sacrifice that's kind of going on here in these in these movies mm-hmm. early on and i think that that kid represents that you know he kind of shows he shows the danger of halloween he shows the the ugliness and the sort of you know the, the sort of danger that's out there with adults who are looking to snuff out innocence yeah. <laughs> or with the evil i guess you could say that's looking to snuff out innocence on halloween when the parents not looking you know yeah so for me, it's really about the negligence of the parents, because, look, it's not it's not tough to check through your kids candy. It's what you should be doing as a responsible kid, as a responsible parent is checking your kids candy. And then you have the follow up scene after he has the stitches where you have the mom constantly trying to ask him questions. And obviously your kid can't answer. He got stitches. Why are you trying to talk to him? And I feel like it's, for me, that's what we constantly see through Halloween is not only like the negligence of parents, but then, you know, them not acknowledging where they fucked up. Granted, me, I always tie it back to Loomis because I hate that guy. Well, (laughs) so, so, I mean, and, you know, and I also think that it, I also think that the brutality and the violence of it Mm -hmm. speaks into what I want to talk about next, which is this idea of the kind of building sort of rage and violence that's going on mm-hmm. in in this town and on Halloween. So here's here's another point where I'm going to probably offend Halloween Kills fans. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but <laughs> but something else that I've heard over and over again about Halloween Kills is how you know oh it's so it's so different because we're seeing this you know we're seeing how Michael has affected the town and how he's like driving people insane and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, uh, Halloween 2 did it first. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is only the difference there is they didn't put they didn't make the entire movie about the mob that nobody cares about, right? <laughs> they made it about, you know, characters that we actually like. But but in the background of Halloween 2, 
you do see the town losing its goddamn mind. Yeah, and, and they throw rocks at the house. Right, and this is this is what I think is really interesting about Halloween too, with what's going on in the background here, is you have you know you have the introduction of the uh, of the figure Sam Hain, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Doctor Loomis explains that it's you know essentially another way to say Halloween. It's like the festival of Sam Hain, evil. You know the all this kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And at one point. You know, he 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 calls Sam Hain being like the uh, the unconscious mind, and anyway, you start to see this kind of ritualistic, like the the sort of ritualistic sacrifice elements begin playing more into it, mm-hmm. and you see how there's actually madness spreading throughout the town. You know, like when you go to the Michael Myers house, there's all those people out there that are like throwing rocks at it and kind of losing their goddamn minds, right? Mm-hmm. And so it started to make me think, you know. Maybe something that is interesting about Michael Myers that isn't isn't really tackled directly very often, and Halloween Kills did do it in a much more obvious way. <laughs> I would argue a little too obvious because it made it a little too campy. Yeah, uh, I think for it, but um, but I think that the films from the very beginning have actually been dealing with this concept of Michael Myers being this kind of evil that spreads to other people and drives them mad, right? Yeah. And it's something that I think that the films never really touched on uh, too deeply, but it's there if you kind of watch through the series. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Loomis is my one of my examples of that. It's you a know? perfect so, example. So you look at Dr. Lo- like, we always make fun of him for being this terrible doctor and, you know, mm-hmm. like, doing all the things that he does. But I think that if you look at it in a different way and you start to consider... Well, maybe Dr. Loomis was a really good doctor. Maybe he was a really good person. And maybe he was very sane. And all of these years of dealing with Michael, you know, that started to rub off on him. This this sort of, like, darkness started to, you know, spread from Michael to him. Mm-hmm. And it has caused him to lose his mind a little bit, right? So, I mean, you know, it, it's... <laughs> Like, I, I, like Loomis goes absolutely crazy in this movie. I mean, he goes, you know, he goes and he's he's shooting at uh, at Ben Tramer wearing a Michael Myers <laughs> mask in the street, and it looks nothing like the Michael Myers no, that he it's was. It's a just, fucking blonde, right? Like he he was literally just with an entirely different Michael Myers, but you can tell he's like unstable. You know, mm-hmm. he he's he is losing his mind having been exposed to Michael Myers, and you and I think you see that with the town, uh, and you kind of see that with the way that. Uh, that that people are not paying attention as much to the threat of Michael, and they're focused on other things, or or there's 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 this kind of like madness, this violence that's spreading through town, mm-hmm. like the whole you know Ben Tramer thing with him blowing. I mean, he they, fucking he fucking blows up in the middle <laughs> of the street in a car crash, right? Like it's it's a big that <laughs> like for, that like for, cop rams him. Like for a small suburban town, I mean, can you imagine living in suburbia? And you see that outside your street, like I, like we, the the most the yeah. most you would witness anything like that living in the suburbs is like a squirrel gets run over, you know. Like, yeah, look, this cop is driving on residential streets where at most he should be going eighteen, maybe twenty miles an hour, but he rams Ben Tramer at like sixty miles an hour, like it's fucking batshit. And to your point with with Loomis, you know, he does make the point with San Haim that it's it's the fears of the darkest part of ourselves. And what's darker for a doctor than trying to help a patient and considering the possibility that they can't be helped, that they Mm. are beyond help. 
that could drive any doctor crazy. I'm not defending Loomis. Fuck that guy. But I'm giving credit to <laughs> well, your theory. Well, look, so so this is and, and the one the one way that I will phrase this to maybe defend Halloween Kills just a touch because mm-hmm. I really don't like that movie, but just a touch is that, you know, Halloween Kills. One of the complaints about it is that is that the whole town is just like completely going insane after Michael's killed like three people in the movie previous, right? Yeah. It's a little bit more than that, but you got my point. It was four. <laughs> and, and, and and a lot of people are like, there's no way the town would react like that, you know, after a few murders. And and they're probably right. In real life, that's not gonna happen. In real life, people like film people being murdered in front of them on their fucking phone cameras and do nothing about it, right? So like so I really doubt that this town would actually give a fuck. But mm-hmm. I think that you can maybe explain the sudden madness with this idea that Michael Myers is this, you know, you can kind of look at him like this evil representation of Sam Hain. Like Mm -hmm. if you imagine him as the embodiment of Sam Hain or some kind of like pagan God, you know, then you can sort of envision that his presence has this presence of a God Mm -hmm. where he just affects everyone around him. So whether it's, whether it's driving them insane, whether it's, you know, maybe causing them to be a little bit more, a little bit more unobservant, as we see in Halloween too. Like one of my favorite things about this movie is how Michael Myers is so very obviously <laughs> uh, in scenes in the yeah. background, and the characters somehow just do not notice him. Mm-hmm. And like there are so many chances for Michael Myers to be noticed, and for and for the film to just be over. Like you know, like everyone is. Everyone who comes aware of Michael Myers and they get out of the hospital and Lori's safe and everything's good, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got uh, you've got Karen when she gets out of her car and Michael Myers is standing right behind her. <laughs> uh, you've got her going to the baby ward, right? Uh, and she and Mrs. Els are sitting there talking and Michael Myers is like very clearly in the baby room. Like you can see him perfectly. He's in the baby room? Oh, you didn't see him there? I didn't see him in the baby yeah. room. Well, we know he's in the baby room. We're seeing that from his point of view. But there's actually a shot where you see him in the background, in the baby room, and if one of them just turns their head that way, they'll see him. And same thing when Jimmy is talking to Jill outside one of the hospital rooms, and you see, like, this really obvious silhouette of Michael Myers <laughs> in the background, and all they have to do is turn their head and they'll see him, but they don't. So so I just, my theory that I like to think of with Michael mm-hmm. is that he is maybe sort of the embodiment of, like, a pagan god, of Sam Hain, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And in that, you know, it causes an effect with people. So whether it's, you know, whether it's less observant, whether it's going insane, mm-hmm. you know, he, he causes, he has an effect on everything around him. And, and I think that's what makes him interesting. And I want to see more of that. I want to see a development of that as we go on. But in, more, in a more subtle way <laughs> than Halloween Kills does. <laughs> you could say he has boogeyman powers. Sure. <laughs> whatever, whatever you would like to call it. I know. Look, I agree with you. Just building him out a little bit more. And that's why for me, with the new ones that we've gotten, they suffer the same issue that a lot of the Halloween films suffer. They have interesting concepts. They have cool concepts. They just don't know how to build them out in any way that makes the movie good. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I, I do still like all these movies. I just... Oh, I like a lot of them, but I think the two most recent ones have the have the curse of having really cool concepts that they just don't know how to buff out. Yeah, I mean, the problem with those two is largely because of the script and direction. But um, <laughs> And one, one last thing I want to mention, and, and this is my biggest stretch here of anything I've mentioned tonight, is that uh, something that I found interesting, and again, I'm really exaggerating this here, but... 
Um, if we are looking at, you know, Halloween 2 kind of seeing sort of like a ritualistic vibe in the background, right? And seeing kind of seeing like this sort of, you know, kind of paganism running through it maybe. Mm-hmm. Is I found it interesting that if you watch the scene where Michael Myers is walking through town, uh, it's not entirely consistent. But for the most part, he's walking past groups of three. And I found that kind of interesting. Now, there are a couple, you know, couples, right? But it's but there are a lot of groups of three, too, that he's walking past. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, we've got the whole idea of, like, the the three witches, the witching hour, all this kind of stuff. Like, three, three plays very heavily into these kind of things, right? Yeah. Or the number three. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. I found that I found that interesting, especially when you look at Halloween three, where you've got three kids, right? Yeah. Or the three mass, and so I don't know. That that's a stretch. <laughs> I, it definitely was not intended. I really doubt it was. Mm-hmm. But I just think Halloween two is a fun movie to kind of look at the background because it's the film that takes place after people know that these kills have happened in Halloween one, and I do think that in the background you're starting to see a lot of things that people give credit to for Halloween kills, but I would argue that. I would I would say that those concepts probably came from a movie like Halloween Two, where you do see it subtly introduced kind of all throughout. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, so we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately, because I've rambled too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, who is your killer idiot of Halloween Two? Like that goes to Jill, which is the the nurse with the short blonde hair who gets like shish kebobbed by Michael in the hallway. Because if she had just run the half length of a hallway to Lori, she would have been out of Michael's reach. How does that? Are you kidding me? Look, it's How does that make her an idiot? Because so here's the thing. As, as the nurse, she should have gone to the patient, not yelled down the hallway at her. Just being like, Lori! Lori, um, what are you doing? I, don't, I, I do not understand that whatsoever. Jill runs into the hall and sees Lori down the hall and yeah. calls her name. Lori turns around and then she gets stabbed. Like, what the hell do no, you no, want? No, 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 no. That scene goes on for longer than that. It does Jill not should, go down. Yes, it does. Jill absolutely should have gone to the patient. She shouldn't have been yelling at her from the other end of the hallway. I'm not. I'm not even gonna. It's stupid. I'm not even gonna indulge stupid. this. Like that. That is a ridiculous reason You're to call ridiculous. Jill an idiot. Um, <laughs> that makes no sense. You're basically. It makes tell- no sense that she wouldn't go directly to the patient. You're basically. You're basically telling me that if I walk in the door, and. You're on the other side of the apartment looking away from me that I should run up to you and say, hey, Chris, instead of saying, hey, Chris, from the door. (laughs) There's a difference between you walking through the door and us just being a married couple. This is a nurse that's been looking for a missing patient. I I, I get it. I'm moving on. This is stupid. You're stupid. (laughs) You're the killer idiot this episode. (laughs) I'm always the killer idiot every episode. Uh, No, my killer idiot is is Loomis for shooting Ben Tramer because, for God's sakes, he looks nothing like the Michael Myers that you just shot. (laughs) Loomis is an idiot. He 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 needs glasses. All right. Loomis need, needs to not have a gun. He needs to not have a gun, and he needs his eyes checked. <laughs> and maybe to go to prison. Maybe to, he should probably go to he prison. He should probably after, go to prison. After killing Ben Tramer, but we all know that, you know, that didn't happen. No. So, <laughs> um, what about your killer death? Like, that goes to Karen for getting her face repeatedly shoved in the scalding water and it melting off. Yeah, so another fun story, because um, I like talking about these whenever I can, and I've actually had more time to do my research lately, so... <laughs> It's a fun story about that, actually. Well, actually, I guess it's not a fun story, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the woman who played Karen, Pamela Shoup, you know, like, obviously she knew about the nude scene and all that kind of stuff. And as typically happens with these things that people don't, you know, often acknowledge is that on the day of shooting, she was kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. 
And of course, you know, everyone's like, son of a bitch, like you got to do this. And, and they're like on the phone with their agent and everything, like trying to work it out. Right. And I guess the uh, Rick Rosenthal asked the guy playing Bud, Leo Rossi to, you know, kind of get in the water first and like, you know, kind of help make her more comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's got like a little like uh thawing on or whatever. And, and he just talked, it's funny. It's just funny listening to him talk about this scene because he talks about how he got in the hot tub and it's like freezing cold water and <laughs> how his how his junk turned into like a raisin, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It just amused me. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's a great scene. I, I'm going to pick Jill, though, and it's not because I actually think it's the best death in the movie. Uh-huh. Because uh, I do think that there are better ones. But, you know, when you're a kid, like certain images just kind of stick with you, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there are two... There are two movies or, or two deaths in a film that really like heavily played into uh, things that I would replicate either with my writing or like when I was a kid, I used to play with action figures. Right. And I'd have mm-hmm. them, you know, like, you know, they're fighting and stuff so they'd kill each other and whatever. Yeah. And and the two things that I replicated the most whenever I'd be playing with action figures like that is the the aliens moment in the film aliens mm-hmm. when when the dude shoves a shotgun into the alien's mouth and is like eat this and you know <laughs> shoots it through the mouth i i did that all the time with my action figures uh-huh. and then i did this jill kill from halloween 2 where michael you know shoves the blade up her back and picks her up i thought that like that shit blew my mind as a kid because that that's a moment where with michael you're like fuck like this dude really is like supernatural like he can yeah. do anything you know and just seeing her picked up like that and and just Lori's face of like shit, you know, like that that just always really stuck with me. And then of course I love the little addition to it where she goes slack and, and dies and then her the, the shoes, shoes fall, fall off her feet, which I thought was great. It's such a great moment. Also though, that scalpel would not be able to like hold a body. That knife would break in half. Stop trying to ruin movies, Chris. <laughs> uh That's so, what I do. Stop trying to ruin movies. Um <laughs> what about your killer MVP? Look, that goes to uh, Dick Warlock. That goes to Dick Warlock for I am, you know, playing Michael. Look, I am for me. I like slashers. I weirdly like my slashers in masks. I think that's one of the reasons why I like Jason. And so having an actor that can really embody a character where you can't do any facial expressions, I think is always a really impressive feat. And I think he does a really good job playing the shape, playing Michael Myers. Yeah, so it's funny too. So I agree with you. I I really like Dick Warlock's performance. But another funny story is that <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, apparently uh, I I think Rosenthal didn't like his performance, but but Deborah Hill especially hated Dick Warlock's performance. Like she, uh, appar- a, 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 as he explains it, they didn't really like like how he walked or you know they they didn't feel that he embodied the character or whatever but but he i don't know but he but he claims that on shooting on set like they never told him to do anything differently so he thought he was doing it right right yeah uh but i i just like his story of how he got hired because he was he was basically being interviewed to be a stunt per or to be the stunt coordinator right and to kind of like work out all the stunts Mm -hmm. uh and he does do that for the film he's the stunt guy for it too but but it was hit but he was interviewing for that job deborah tells him to go down the hallway and and meet rick rosenthal for the interview and he's walking by, and he sees the, the Michael Myers mask in another room. So he puts it on, <laughs> and he goes up to the door to meet Rick Rosenthal. And then he's just kind of, like, standing there looking through the doorway and, like, tilting his head like Michael Myers. And Rick's asking him, like, who the fuck are you? And he's just, like, not answering him and just 
looking at him like Michael, right? What a fucking then, nerd. Yeah, and then eventually he's like, takes the mask off, and he's like, hey, I'm Dick War- Warlock, or whatever, and then I guess when he was leaving the interview, he just kind of turned to Rick, and he's like, is there any reason that I can't play Michael Myers? And Rick's like, I don't give a shit, you know? Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how we got the job, so I think that's, that's pretty funny. Um, that's amazing. My, my MVP is going to go to Dean Cundy, the cinematographer, because, look, I think Dean is one of the greatest DPs really ever to work in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think that he he is a huge part in why we love Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3 so much, because he just brings, he brings a look to those movies mm-hmm. that has not existed in a Halloween film since. Yes. You know, like, there there's a certain dirty, griminess to his work like he basically he he's really good at building in the shadows and the atmosphere of a scene yeah that i just don't think any of the halloweens have accomplished since especially the new ones i really the new ones look clean <laughs> they don't look atmospheric though no not at you all. you know and and which i know we can debate about that all day but but i i just think Cundy brought such a unique look to these movies mm-hmm. he's such a he's such a great cinematographer and i mean a perfect example is uh, is the scene where I believe it's Janet gets the shot through her eye and just the the way that entire scene is filmed, you know, whether it's uh, the doctor and, and sort of him being in the foreground while she's in the background mm-hmm. or Michael Myers, like emerging out of the shadows, like that whole scene is just shot so well. Yeah. So, so it's Cundy for me. I, I think, I think Cundy just, he always does exceptional work and, and funny enough, you know, he, he ended up not, he ended up turning down a chance to work with Spielberg on this uh, I think on Poltergeist. I could be oh. wrong about that. But he turned down a chance to work with Spielberg to do this because he kind of felt an obligation since he had done Halloween. He wanted to do part two. Um, he did later work with Spielberg, though. If I remember okay. correctly, he shot Jurassic Park. So <laughs> <gasps> My baby. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so one last thing we'd like to do. Uh, or so that's going to do it for us on Halloween 2. But one last thing we'd like to do at the end of the month with our theme is kind of give a ranking to everything we've talked about for the month. So this month we've talked about Halloween 2, uh, Terrifier, uh, Hell House LLC, Hack Lantern, Night of the Demons. So how would you rank this month? So I am for me coming in at number five is Terrifier because I'm good. I don't I don't really need to see that movie again. That's fine. I yeah. get it. Terrifier is not a movie for everybody. Yeah. So. Number four for me is Hell House LLC because I think that the mythos is great, even if it gives me motion sickness and makes me want to vomit. I like that movie. Mm. Um, number three is Night of the Demons because the costuming and there's so many cool elements to it. Look, I like that pink dress. It's are, super cool. Are you about to put Hack Lantern at number one? No, I am not <laughs> because then I would not be allowed to live in the house. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lantern is number two for me, though, because I fucking love it. It's you might you might be the biggest fan of Hack Lantern that I know. <laughs> I don't understand why it's fun. Oh no, it's I'm not knocking Hack Lantern. It's a fun yeah. movie, but I think I think compared to Night of the Demons and, and Night of the Demons Hell is House fine, <laughs> but Hack Lantern gives me weird musical number. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't understand why there's a stripper there. I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah, Plus, I think the twist is really good. Fair enough. All right, so Halloween Two is your number one. Yeah, because otherwise I can't live in the house. <laughs> What do you think I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick you out or? Like? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> How dare you not or, like Halloween too? Get out of my house. Or divorce me? I don't know. <laughs> Every once in a while, I, I feel like it's necessary that I put one of the classics at the number one spot so that people don't completely disregard me. I I I, I would 
I'm just imagining like a domestic dispute where I murder you over Halloween two, and on your gravestone it says, you know, Chris lived lived from this time to this time, and then the little epitaph is didn't like Halloween two. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween two can suck it. No, Halloween two is amazing. I so, would never <laughs> actually say it, but that would be my tombstone. Yeah. So uh, mine list is way different than yours. Of course uh, it is. So, you have taste. I do not. Y- yeah. I mean, hack lanterns at the bottom now. Oh! <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, it's said, a masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> it is not. Uh, Hack Lantern's a you lot of fun. You can sleep on the couch. Hack Lantern's a lot of fun. It's yeah. not a masterpiece. <laughs> what more do you need than fun? A lot of things. Um, <laughs> no, so, so why look, did you marry me? So look, I like all five. I don't know. But <laughs> I, like, I like all five of these. Uh, Hack Lantern, though, I, <laughs> I don't think there's any argument that it's the least quality, maybe, of these movies. Um, but it is really fun. I, I think more people should see it and seek it out. Uh, Terrifier is the next one. You know, Terrifier is one of those movies where, like, I, I do really like Terrifier, but it it is, like, so brutal and so vicious that it's not one that I, I crave watching as much as something, you know, like a Michael Myers movie or Friday the 13th or whatever. Yeah, when you that, cut someone from vagina to face, <laughs> you just don't make the top. It's extreme, you know, like, it, there, there's, a, there's a very fine line, I think, between, like, comfort violence and uncomfortable violence, right? Yep. And, you know, a, a Halloween movie to me is comfortable violence, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's violent, but it's in a way where, you know, I'm not, I don't feel dirty for having seen it. Terrifier yeah. makes me feel dirty, yes. you know? So, so anyway, that's where that goes. Uh, Hell House LLC is, is number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. I just don't think it stands out above the next two, which is Night of the Demons. I have a number two. Night of the Demons is just so much fucking fun. Yeah. I think I think it represents everything about Halloween horror that I enjoy, uh, where it's kind of campy, great effects, really fun movie, really embraces the Halloween spirit, you know. And then Halloween 2. I mean, look, Halloween 2 was one of my first horror movies that I remember ever watching. It's always been one of my favorites in the franchise. I go back and forth between saying that this is a favorite of mine over Halloween. The Halloween, I think, is the better made movie. Mm-hmm. Halloween 2, I just think, is more fun, maybe. Yeah. You know? like It's it, definitely it, more fun. Like it, It's more of your kind of classic slasher, and I, I've always really liked that about it. Uh, but I do think that Halloween's the better made movie. It's the better movie. Mm-hmm. I just kind of go back and forth where I'm like, oh, but I really like Halloween 2 because it's got – so many iconic moments, like Michael Myers getting his eyes shot out and mm. and being blown up, you know, which we didn't even really talk about that. Like, that whole scene's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, Halloween 2 is my number one for this month. But Understandable. But anyway, so that's going to do it for us on Halloween 2. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you enjoyed our month <laughs> of talking about Halloween horror movies. Uh, we have not yet put up the theme for next month. They'll be putting up voting for that s- shortly before you're listening to this. Uh, where you can vote on next month's theme on our Twitter and, you know, kind of let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, so look for that. Otherwise, that's going to do it for us on Halloween 2. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And happy Halloween, horror fans. Hope you have a great one and have a good night. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled. 
just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.